Welcome to our latest episode of our podcast. My name is Chris McNutt, and I'm part of the Progressive Education Nonprofit Human Restoration Project. Before we get started, I wanted to let you know that this is brought to you by our supporters, three of whom are Daniel Kearney, Julia Valenti, and Leah Kelly. Thank you for your ongoing support. You can learn more about the Human Restoration Project on our website, humanrestorationproject.org, or find us on social media and YouTube. Today, we are joined by Dr. Emma McMain. Emma works in the College of Education at Washington, Un- Washington State University as a postdoctoral teacher and researcher, focusing on assessment for pre-service elementary teachers, cultural considerations in education, and social-emotional learning, aka SEL. Her work aims to promote social and ecological justice, seeing education as an important site of social transformation. Her recent works include Drawing the Line, Teachers Effectively and Discursively Question About What Counts as Appropriate Behavior in Schools, uh, which dissects the power dynamics of classrooms and determining what is then, uh, kind of scare quotes, appropriate behavior. And as well, The Problem Tree of SEL, a sociopolitical literature review, which contextualizes what SEL actually means in a classroom setting from a variety of perspectives and in history. So we reached out and wanted to talk more about this idea of SEL as systemic change versus SEL as an add-on. So thinking about SEL in the lens of racism, sexism, neoliberalism, and more, especially then considering the, the culture war attacks on schools and how SEL is being framed. But before we dive into that, Emma, thank you for joining us on this discussion. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm excited to dive into it. All right. Well, let's let's just jump right into that that last point, which is social emotional learning. I mean, SEL has been defined in in many different ways. Um, some conservative lawmakers see it as like socialist or part of critical race theory. Um, some of it see it as like this op- this optional um, tag on. So, like, I, I think about doing yoga during standardized testing. It's like a way for us to get through the issues that may be presented by the education system itself. So could you provide, or, you know, it could also be a a systemic overhaul. It could be a good thing as well. So could you provide an overview on what SEL is and, and like why this is the case? Why are we all interpreting it in different ways? Yeah. All I, two of my favorite philosophers always say like, start in the middle. Cause I'm like, I don't know where to start. So I'll start in the middle. Um, because like you say, SEL is such a broad term. Um, that I feel like we have to treat it with nuance, right? Like in the midst of these culture wars, and we have a lot of really conservative communities considering SEL as like a Trojan horse for critical race theory or the newest variant of the CRT virus and just like bringing it under really brutal attack. Um, And then I think in response to that, there can be this kind of panacea discourse of like SEL is amazing and this like long awaited recognition of sociality and emotionality in schools, like huzzah, like we did it. Um, And so I always think like, wait, let's back up a second. This isn't really a sided issue, it's a layered issue. Um, So I think one of those layers, which is kind of like a paradoxical layer is that SEL is kind of new, but it's also really not new. Um, Like you mentioned the historical piece, um, I'll do just kind of a quick, like deep dive into how, if we look at like the early 1900s progressive education, um, and the 1920s, there was like 
mental hygiene was a big push. Like, how do we help students be good citizens and be emotionally healthy or hygienic? And then in the 1940s, there's this thing called life change curriculum. Um, then character education, like SEL has been going on since public schools were a thing. Um, so it's kind of interesting to think about it as like this new thing. But then at the same time, I think part of what has kind of like um, made SEL be so prolific, like since the 2000s, like early 2000s, is how it's making its way into learning standards and curricula and like being seen as even a formal accountability measure under ESSA, the Every Student Succeeds Act, like SEL is being treated as like a legitimate um, part of schools. So to me, I think it's important to like recognize that like new but not new and how even the backlash isn't new. There's always been groups saying like, this is parents' job, not teacher's job. Why are we doing this in schools? Um, this is like stepping on family's toes. Um, and so I think sometimes it's easy to be like, for SEL or anti-SEL, but there's actually like some really important points in a lot of these layers. So um, I, I mean, I could keep going on. I think one of the big things to me that I always try to kind of separate is that um, there's a distinction that needs to be made between recognizing and valuing being social and being emotional and formally teaching or training that. Like to me, those things are often collapsed. Um, but it's like a really different thing to say we value you as a social and emotional person versus like we are now going to like shape you into a certain group's definition of socially and emotionally competent. So that's why I kind of find myself like not easily on either side, um, but kind of like in the mangle of it all. Um, I could keep going, but I'll pause there. That's no, kind of no. It, I, as you're as you're talking about the the mandated nature of it. I can't help but notice the connection to like PBIS, positive behavior yeah. incentive systems, uh, because they tend to go hand in hand. PBIS tends to be promoting uh, good behavior. Again, like in scare quotes there because of how that can be framed and, and what lens we're viewing that uh, through. Um, but there are things that seem to be more and more, I guess, mainstream. Most teachers are familiar with these terms um, I'm, I'm sure that many teachers have familiarity with implementing programs into their classroom that might be SEL programs. They do it like an advisory period or home, home room curriculum um, or find themselves inserting standards into a lesson plan about like valuing other people. I always find them very silly because like, shouldn't you be doing that anyway? Do we really need to have that as a standard? Right. But, uh, <laughs> but that is conceptually something people are doing. So with, with that kind of said, uh, what does it even mean to like to be talking like why are we talking about this like it, it, for someone who's just like who cares that that it's being interpreted different ways what's the what's the gist of that yeah cuz i mean you mentioned like one thing i also always want to call out when i think about the history is that like the examples i mentioned like progressive education character education mental hygiene these are all things that have been done within like the colonial school system so mm -hmm. i do always want to recognize like let's look at feminist theories let's look at indigenous ways of being um who have been like implicitly valuing sociality and emotionality since time immemorial so it's also feels like kind of a um I don't know if ironic is the right word, a really problematic erasure to suggest that like, okay, now this is a formalized thing in public schools. Now we can talk about it. So like you say, um, I think it's problematic to say that if someone is skeptical about a certain program or about 
wanting to like teach it to the T that they don't value sociality and emotionality. Like that's something that concerns me. Um, and then at the same time, like it, I sometimes get excited at like so much attention and like money and momentum is behind this recognition of like social and emotional learning. So um, there was something else. Oh, I was going to share. This is kind of an extreme example from um, an educator and scholar named Cleo Stearns, who I say all over the place. I love Cleo Stearns. Um, and she's done a lot of like hands-on work observing elementary school classrooms that are unfolding, like very scripted programs of SEL. Um, like disclaimer, not all SEL programs are scripted, um, but sure. she's looked at ones like Second Step. Um, and the example is a first grade classroom that's going through the second step lesson. Like this is our 30 minute SEL block. Um, and the prompt is for the teacher to ask the students, like, when is a recent time that you felt sad? Mm. And so a child raises his hand and he says, well, last night I was really, really cold. Um, this is like the middle of the winter, New England. I was so cold and there's no heat in my house and my blanket has holes in it. And I was shaking and I couldn't sleep. I was so sad. And so the teacher who, to be fair, like Cleo Stearns really believes as an empathetic person is also feeling very much like she has to be um, maintain fidelity to this script. So the teacher goes, thanks for sharing. Now, what do we do when we feel sad? Yeah. Yeah. We belly breathe. Sure. And so <laughs> it's just like this moment. Yeah. yeah. Like yeah. it's, it's like funny in a horrific way. Right. Yeah. So it's like, what happens when, okay, we did our SEL, but like, here's this stark example of, actually needing to look at the cause of why someone would legitimately feel something negative and like what happens when the onus of responsibility is on kids to deep breathe through oppression and through misogyny or racism or whatever it may be um it's like okay if we if we emphasize like these programs more than like the meaning behind them like we're really doing a disservice at the end of the day and i think a lot of sel researchers would totally agree with that but that is an example of like, here's what can happen um, when we aren't careful. Yeah, that that branded component of it, I think, just tends to lean into that because that's how education products tend to work generally. You take what is a probably pretty good idea on its baseline and then brand it and commodify it so that everyone can do it in the exact same way. Because if I start interpreting it, then I'm going to eliminate that brand. It's no longer going to be exactly how they're uh, saying it's going to work. Um, and not nearly as an extreme as an example, but my my experience with SEL programs has even more so just been that they're just not exciting. Like they're just boring. Mm. Kids don't like them. Like we're going to do our, our team building activity and you're going to stack a deck of playing cards. And then whenever we share something, you're going to take one out, like that kind of stuff. And it just feels illegitimate to the point where kids no longer see the value in doing the SEL activities. So whereas we value these ideas of reflective thinking, even like things like meditation, things like that, kids just see that as kumbaya, silly uh, things that, you know, like guys like me with a man bun do at the coffee shop. <laughs> like, they, like they don't see it as legitimate practice. And therefore, it has a counterintuitive effect of lessening the impact of SEL. Right. It becomes so cheesy sometimes. And again, this is where like I'm anticipating the pushback of people being like, yeah, that's SEL done wrong. But I think there's there's a limit to the conversation of reform. Like, well, we just need to do it better. Like at a certain point, it's like something paradigmatically is like a little bit problematic, maybe um, when it is just like assuming that we can script these things. 
Right. Because yeah. it, it, in addition to the systems of oppression at large, like in terms of like who's creating this curriculum, yeah. what do we mean when we're saying good SEL and, and who are we trying to shape people into being, et cetera. There's also the fact that you, you had just mentioned like school itself can be an oppressive space. And for, for many folks, I would argue most folks, um, school has a lot of oppressive tendencies because of how we rank and file kids, who's dictating the curriculum, and just the general authoritarian nature of sadly most most schools. Um, so as a result, SEL tries to be the panacea for the problems school itself is causing. I alluded to in the intro there. Um, I, I think the classic example is like yoga or mindfulness techniques before a standardized test. So the right. standardized test is going to make us throw up. We don't want kids to be sick, you know, for four hours in this small, dimly lit room. You know, it's it's awful. So we'll have them do some deep breathing exercises to get through it, as opposed to looking at the standardized test situation itself. Yeah. And appropriate a bunch of cultures along the way. Yes. As we like yeah, yeah. Claim to be. I mean, that's a whole other topic, but yeah. Yeah. So with that said, I guess that that builds into the question of, what does it mean to craft a strong SEL system? How do we navigate this whole field of different interpretations of SEL to determine what we should be aiming toward? I mean, the idea is then changing systems, I would assume, like focusing on social justice, recognizing that the systems need to change. What is the role of SEL in that in, in terms of like the research, the theory, the, the history? Yeah. So, I mean, shameless plug for my own podcast. Like I'm, I've been working with a group of colleagues and friends on a podcast project called Unboxing Social Emotional Learning. You can find it on Spotify. Um, it's very much in the beginning stages, but I guess my answer to that is partly um, it, it depends because um, I think like uh, one thing I love about having critical dialogue around this is that um, it's it's really tricky, and I feel like I need to. We all need to have kind of our incoming assumptions challenged a lot. Because on the one hand, I would say, well, SEL can be a really great driver of social justice, or it can be channeled into like transforming our school systems. Um, and then on the other hand, like you mentioned, can actually just be reinforcing those things. Um, so I think. One of the biggest things to me is like whose voices are in this curriculum. So regardless of whether it's called SEL, is it something that's built on community values? The caveat to that is, let's say that the community values, the loudest voices are very white supremacists. Like then maybe we have to think about who's kind of making who's shaping this program. But how is it different depending on the context it's in or the region it's in? So like I'm all for kind of grassroots, um, like bottom up SEL. That means also including kids voices. Um, what, what do they think it means to be social and emotional? Um, that's not something that they are like have to be trained into. We're born being social and emotional. So like not treating kids like their um, incoming ways of being in the world need to be fixed. Um, so I, I guess at the end of the day to me, whether or not it's called SEL, it's about kind of building some kind of program or approach that's flexible enough to actually like really change depending on um, the needs of the community, um, including again, those who are often excluded from conversations, including children. Um, there was, oh, I was going to say also like back to your point about recognizing schools as 
they can be a transformative force and like a reinforcer of systems of oppression. I think every SEL program has to reckon with that. Um, I've had a quote going through my mind for a couple of weeks from a webinar session with Dr. Megan Bang, um, who's an amazing indigenous um, scientist and researcher. She's at um, Northwestern, Northeastern University in Chicago. I think I got that right. But she was, she said this, um, she shared a lot of stories. And one of the quotes she said was like, as an indigenous woman, it would be irrational for me to walk into a school system and immediately assume that my best interests are at heart. And that's like a really hard statement, I think, especially for really well-intending teachers to sit with, teachers that want school to be a positive site and that want to like build an SEL program to make kids feel at home and included and safe. But I think part of an SEL program should involve like the adults, the teachers reckoning with being like historical actors. Like you're in a school system that is the same system that was part of the boarding school movement to remove indigenous children from their families. Like how do we recognize that our good intentions can be part of that program and like our reckoning with ourselves as historical actors in a site that's enacted harm is also like part of that context. So a lot of it means like an SEL program should involve the adults doing a lot of self-reflexive work. Like what does, what does emotionality mean to me? How have I been taught to like cope with or handle or relate to my emotions? So it should be like a very self-reflective thing. Um, I feel like I'm talking in circles. Like I don't have a how-to, no, but yeah, these are yeah. some of the considerations that I think. Yeah, there's there's a couple of things you're you're saying. I think that 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 make a lot of sense to me as someone who I mean I was in the classroom for ten years, and mm -hmm. there's certainly a cognitive dissonance that happens daily. The deeper and deeper you dive into this stuff, because you yeah. know that the systems are built on racist, neoliberal, sexist, all the things that we listed at the beginning, it's built on these, these tendencies, um, both from a like kind of contextualized view. So like you, it's in the communities that these, they find themselves in, but also like literally like through the sense of boarding schools, like they are quite literally designed to do this. So that that's something that you're constantly facing while walking that tightrope against public schooling is also a public good because you could come to the conclusion of saying, well, we should just not have public schools at all. Cause look at how terrible they are. Like burn it all down. But mm -hmm. in, in my view, in reality, what that would lead to is just a bunch of charter schools, like private industry would capitalize on that. It wouldn't lead to some kind of, I don't know, like positive beneficial change with the community schooling their kids. I just don't think that would happen in the United States. Uh, so with that said, um, the second point that you're, you're diving into which I'm thinking about what I was going to say when I was edited. <laughs> there was something you just said that was that that made sense in regards to the the SEL component. Oh, talk, talking with kids. I don't know. <laughs> so the second part of what you're saying uh, regarding talking with kids and learning from kids and doing this grassroots, well, while being sure that we're not putting all of the burden for change and labor on kids, but certainly listening to them to change things. Uh, I'll I'll never forget these stories. So. HRP, we, we go around to a bunch of different schools. Our PD model is built on doing focus groups with young people. So we've, talk, we've spoken now to like thousands of kids. And pretty much in every focus group conversation, a kid brings up, if they have one, the SEL program. And nine times out of 10, they always have the exact same complaint. And I think this really gets to the heart of this. They always say, every day I'm forced to do some kind of reflection activity. And they submit it into a system. 
and it's like, how are you doing today? And sometimes like a Likert scale, sometimes you get to actually write it out. And the kids always say, I don't like the system because if I report I'm doing bad, I have to go to the guidance counselor. So what kids do is that, well, either they just don't do it or over time they say they're doing a lot better than they used to be doing before. And this has like a three pronged effect because on the one hand, the school reads the data and sees, oh, the SEL program has made all the kids happier because over time, <laughs> all of their right. scores are going up. Therefore, they reinvest in it. Or second, everybody quits using it. So then the school's like, well, SEL programs don't work, so we're not going to invest in them anymore. So now SEL just like is out the window. Or yeah. three, like kids no longer like trust the adults to actually go to them about SEL issues because they're afraid that if they go to an adult, it's going to trigger what they seem to be like an overblown response. Mm -hmm. So it's like they want to be listened to, but they also don't want to feel like they're going through this mandated system of like maybe they don't like that guidance counselor. Maybe they just don't like they don't want to talk about it right now. They want other means of going about it, which, in my mm -hmm. opinion, a good SEL program would recognize that like it would be much less mandated check marks, step by step process and a little more holistic and with a bunch of different avenues in the same way that progressive education kind of does in curriculum. That's like the mm -hmm. overall idea. Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking of two things. One thing, like you mentioned, that's like, that's kind of a funny example. Like, look, it works. They're all happy now. Because um, I think so often, like one of my big critiques or like um, concerns with SEL is just this huge emphasis on articulating, naming and processing emotions, which for some kids is great. Like, yes, they want to talk about it. It helps to talk about it. But like, actually, this was a quote from one of the teachers I talked with um, for my own kind of discourse community focus group um, a year and a half ago, is she said, well, naming things isn't always um, helpful, like, right? Like sometimes when you name something, you actually constrict what it can be. And um, if you have the kid like circle the face that you're feeling mm -hmm. and they circle the sad face, that kind of shrunk like the possibilities of what they're feeling. Like now they are feeling a sad face. And um, and again, it can be helpful and it can't. So like you mentioned, um, what if there's a variety of avenues where some of the ways of like responding to kids' negative emotion isn't talking about it, which is kind of hard to think about because we live in this society where if you don't talk about it, you're repressing it and like it needs. To, and I think in some ways that's a pushback against times of not being able to share negative emotion. But yeah, I think about with SEL being celebrated as like, let's bring into awareness how kids are feeling. That also means let's subject their social and emotional and even spiritual worlds to intense surveillance. So yeah, there's that like kind of like the cognitive dissonance of we want to value this, but are we just like surveilling it now and deciding what's best for them based on this really vulnerable information they're sharing? Um, the other, only other thing I was going to share is a quote um, from Dr. Kelly Lee, who's at the University of California. Um, I was recently watching a webinar with her um, and she said, it's just so ironic how often in schools we tell kids, you're a change maker, you are agentic, you can make change, you can be who you want to be, but you can't change anything about my classroom or you can't change anything about our school. So um, those things came to mind because definitely resonate with what you're saying. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely what the, the fact of the matter is, is that if you listen to kids chances are they're going to build not only a better curriculum um, <laughs> and have like a better, you know, 
just general school system overall, but the SEL program is also probably going to be better. They don't yeah. need to be handcrafting it, but if they give you feedback along the way and they'd say, this is what I want, this is what I'd rather see, you're going to be able to identify the programs and procedures and all those different things that make the most sense for a group of kids. And that there's going to be multiple options. It's not just going to be one size fits all model. Mm -hmm. um, it's just, just generally. So with that said, I think that's that's a good segue into something that we had spoken about off air, which is, is it worth it? Slash, how do you brand something that is everything that we just said? Because we spoke for about like 15 minutes there contextualizing what <laughs> makes that different. And I think the the rationale is typically like, well, give that an acronym or give that a framework, right. or give that like a new thing. And we were talking about this idea of S-E-L-S-E-J, social emotional health, social emotional justice as a framing that addresses that. Uh, but I, I think you're kind of like thinking in a different headspace about that now and like whether or not it's worth going down that route. I just want to learn more about that. Yeah, this is why I value so many voices at the table, because my voice is very um, I always joke with friends, like, I'm very certain that I'm uncertain about everything. <laughs> like, that is the one thing I'm certain about, um, because I do think I'm I'm terrified of acronyms, honestly. Um, this is this is kind of weird. It's something I've been playing with, but I created a methodology for the focus group I mentioned with teachers and was kind of like building my own way of analyzing. Um, and I've been writing an article about that and feeling a lot of pressure to name it. Like if I'm gonna put out this methodology that I kind of curated, I have to call it something. And that's probably gonna be an acronym because it's like this long word. Um, and so I'm calling it um what am I calling it? I know the acronym An affective feminist relate. No, an analysis. Let's see. What am I calling it? The acronym is afraid. A-F-R-A-D. Um, okay. Affective feminist relational analysis of discourse. And I'm like, that's perfect because it's pronounced afraid. I don't know if I'm actually going to publish it this way, <laughs> but I'm <laughs> like, that's perfect because it's like I am. I'm very wary of acronyms for some of the reasons we've been talking about. Um, I guess for listeners, for additional context, a few years ago, um, my committee chair at the time and I published a paper advocating for this SEL, SEJ, social emotional learning for social and emotional justice. Um, and I still stand behind all the ideas behind that. But like I'd been talking about with Chris, I get really wary about the branding of things. Um, I guess a couple of the reasons I would push away from kind of an easy response of like, let's create a program, brand it, maybe scale it up, mass produce it, is that it becomes, for one, it can be seen as like a social justice flavor of SEL. Mm. Like if we have SEL, SEJ, that kind of acknowledges that SEL itself is not necessarily anti-racist and doesn't necessarily acknowledge coloniality or whiteness. So it becomes like, well, you can do general SEL, which doesn't talk about racism, or you can do like the anti-racist version, which scares mm. me because it's seen as like, maybe there's then a feminist version. Then there's a, it starts to segment all of these different systems of oppression as like optional add-ons. So that's a concern I have. Um, and another is kind of what we've been talking about with SEL itself is it becomes such a huge umbrella term that it kind of becomes emptied of meaning. When it's just thrown around as an acronym, I can do anything in the name of SEL. Um, I think we don't often think about why we're doing it or what's behind it or what it means. 
So like acronyms can kind of, again, like it kind of like the circling a sad face, it kind of shuts down like what something can be. But then at the same time, that's why I started this kind of by saying that I value other voices because sometimes my friends even will say to me like, totally hear what you're saying. We have to call it something so that we can tell people what we're doing and deliver it and package it. So those are some of my qualms. I think there's a way to give something a name, use an acronym, create a grassroots really cool program and call it something and be critical about like the co-opting or the commercialization of that label. But I think that criticality like has to be there. Um, yeah, that's tricky. Yeah. That's super tricky because I, I yeah. think about from like a PBL standpoint, I mean, hell, PBL by itself is three. It's place-based, problem-based and project-based. There's probably more. I was so thinking, you, yeah. So then you have challenge-based, you have, there's, there's a bunch of them. Like there's like 20, we have a list of these somewhere that are all mm -hmm. ostensibly the same thing. They all have like their own flavor. I mean, place-based learning is project-based learning account, like accounting for place, but PBL already accounted for place, but now we're adding the additional acronym on to, or I guess we're changing a letter of the acronym to make that more apparent. So mm -hmm. what, what we find is that when we travel around to different schools from a PBL context, we'll go into the school, they'll say, oh, we don't do project-based learning. We do challenge-based learning. And it's like, okay, well, right. what is that? And then they describe project-based learning because yeah. when they were doing project-based learning, they said, well, it didn't include X, Y, and Z and teachers were doing this. But then we'll go back you know, two or three years later and they shifted from CBL to some other framework because this framework includes this thing and teachers weren't doing that. And I don't really know if this has anything to do with the, with the SEL component, but yeah. it's, it's, it's a, it's a multi-layer problem. Cause on the one hand you have, you have to be able to define what you're doing. And I think it is worth noting that this is a different thing than it was before, but at the exact same time, it shouldn't have been a different thing than it was before. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like this is actually making me think of a conversation um, in one of our actually recent podcasts about SEL and indigenous communities and indigenous ways of knowing and being and relating. Mm. Um, and one of my friends, um, Sequoia Dance Layton, who's a PhD student at Washington State University um, and also a member of the Shoshone Bannock um, tribe, she is a really great advocate for like not all communities want to call something SEL and need to be told that they must have it. Cause like with what you're saying, um, I can, I can see scenarios where someone like comes into an indigenous community and says, you need SEL, like we'll create it with you. It can be based on your community values. We'll use your terminology, but like, we want to give you SEL. And I can see so many communities being like, so we do that. We don't call it that. We actually don't agree with some of the components. But like, I don't want the the kind of evangelical drive of SEL to be that every school has their own customized SEL if they don't resonate with that label or they're already doing things um, like you mentioned, progressive education already does a lot of this stuff um, as far as like valuing sociality and emotionality. Sure. So, yeah, I, another kind of with what you're saying, I worry about that fear of like. If you aren't using the label, you're not doing it kind of thing, which isn't true. So Yeah. You also get caught in the trap of like consuming the the capitalist code. Uh um, yeah. the the acronym gets attached to like a brand name or to a label. Uh like um, shout out, I, I love EL education, but we've been spaces where people will say, like, oh, what you're doing is the EL education, the the crew curriculum or whatever. 
It's like, mm-hmm. well, no, we're we're just talking about like uh, like frameworks, concepts that have existed in academia for. In this case, I think we were talking about something that's like a hundred years old, or like yeah. the Castle framework, even. Like we brought up Castle yeah. as a framework. I'm like, well, that's the crew curriculum. Yeah, but like we don't have to go through their catalog of branded mm-hmm. content that you purchased in order for it to be effective. This is a a broad ranging thing that is more deeper and nuanced than that. So I I, I also fear that it that the more we focus on names and acronyms without looking at the root systemic problems, the more likely we are to just try to find a consumerist or, or capitalist uh, solution to our problem, which, mm-hmm. which relates it all back to like, there's no magic potion. There's, there's no one size fits all solution. That's just going to be, this is going to solve all of our SEL problems. So we're just going to buy that thing and kids are going to be fixed or whatever that means. Right. Yeah. 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 I forget. I had a thought something. Um, I've lost it. It might come back. No, that's good. You're good. You're fine. You're fine. Yeah. <laughs> this is good. This is, we're just a wide ranging conversation. We're going to lot yeah. with this. Um, so, so let's, let's then talk about like the solutions focused element of this. So I think we've underpinned at least a, a baseline for the, the theory and why should be problematized SEL as a concept. Then how do as how do educators actually figure out what to do? <laughs> like if there's all these different interpretations and there's all these critiques of how SEL is implemented, we've we've already outlined listen to kids and like ask them and figure out from kids what what's going on. Are there other spaces or like researchers, academics, things that we should be considering foundational to understanding SEL? Yeah, um, I would say one thing that I really resonated with me from talking, I talked with six different elementary educators um, for part of the focus group discourse community I mentioned, not just classroom teachers, but also um, a paraeducator, SEL specialist, a special ed teacher. Um, and one of the biggest themes um, on my, with what they were saying was we have so many options of SEL curricula. Some schools do require like we are doing second step, but some are like, if you want to do character strong, if you want to do mind up, if you want to do ruler, like any of it's good. And they're like, that's not helpful. There's so many resources. We have so many resources. We don't need more resources. Um, and we don't need more accountability. Like, and, and there was some disagreement to that. One of the teachers actually did feel like we need more like teachers to be held accountable for being, um, having fidelity. I don't know what the um, verb is there. Maintaining fidelity to the program. Um, But what they don't have a lot of time for is time to think critically. So I do think in itself, like that's something that teachers can advocate for and especially administrators could advocate for is instead of trying to protect this 30 minutes of SEL time or to get the money to purchase this big program, what would happen if we had more I mean, it's kind of like radical, like free play time. Let's use that 30 minutes for another recess. There's social and emotional learning. That's kind of a glib way to say it, but um, more time for like PD that is based on teachers talking with each other. What are you doing in your classroom? Like what's working for your kids or what things have parents brought up? So more time for just like talking with other people of kind of like to piece together more grassroots approaches to SEL. But I also will say, like, kind of more tangibly, Dina Simmons' work um, is wonderful. She, uh, do you know, like, liberated, 
Um, Mm -hmm. It's her organization. So she's wonderful at emphasizing, like, let's dismantle the deficit discourses around, um, especially like black and brown kids being framed as not having social emotional competence. Let's ditch that narrative and build with community assets, anti-racist approaches. Sierra Kaler Jones um, is another like person I would encourage any educator to learn more about. There's also um, another thing I'll bring up um, because it's kind of like a um, elephant in the room with this conversation is transformative SEL, which is Castle's newest kind of um, social justice oriented approach to SEL, which is claims to be rooted in community based rather than individual based and acknowledging systems of oppression, acknowledging racism. So I think transformative SEL is something that's like worth bringing to the table in these critical conversations. I'm still dubious about some things. There's still a lot of emphasis on kids learning these skills and not always a look in the mirror at an institutional level. But transformative SEL would be like another area I would direct people to. Um, do you have anything to add to the list? I'm curious, like what, no, I, what would human restoration I mean, advocate? I, I mean, I think from from our angle it would be taking all of those things and then looking at the foundations of a classroom like you had mm-hmm. just said like recess is super important but sadly in schools across the united states that's becoming more and more rare even at an elementary school level i mean we would advocate for high, high schoolers should have recess everyone should yeah. have recess kids like going outside kids like going outside when it's negative 20 degrees outside <laughs> speaking from experience mm-hmm. of having to walk <laughs> kids outside is like please come back in um, but they they love it, and that's important for them to be outside and being with their friends. But there's also other things like, like why is it that 99.9% of school has to be so competitive? Why do we have to focus on grades and ranking? And when we put kids in the groups, why is it that they focus on things like, you know, it, I want to make sure my grades protected, so I don't want to work with so and so. And to me, that's highly problematic. The, the goal of working in a group is to build on those collaborative skills, communication skills, but also just to relate to other people as human beings. So we need to find ways to move away from concepts like grades, concepts like testing as this like one and done style of assessment and move into a more holistic lens in that angle, like in the way that we're actually structuring our class on how we're giving kids feedback and just speaking with them broadly. Like if you if you had a classroom where kids work together and do, let's say, um, like community service or they're making an art project and putting it up down the road and they're talking to community leaders, et cetera, that's going to be killer SEL. <laughs> like that's going to be so yeah. cool. Like they're going to connect with with other people. They're going to learn from people that that they may have never known before. They're going to have people with different age levels. They're going to have to actually speak with each other in a variety of means, uh, participate digitally. Um, and talk about like digital SEL and talking to people online. Um, that's not to say that SEL programs can't be important. It's just that the, at the systemic level, the, if the classroom is the antithesis to the SEL program, it seems like we're doing something wrong. Definitely. And one other thing I was thinking about too, is I'm a big advocate for like being social and emotional has never been exclusive to humans. And so sometimes mm-hmm. when we think about ecological justice or climate yeah. justice, that's seen as like a separate thing. Like that is SEL. Um, and I've been into like common worlding pedagogies. Um, mm-hmm. Shout out to common worlding pedagogies of recognizing ourselves as always intricate members or members of an intricate more than human system. And um, that's another thing <clears throat> I personally want to explore a lot more is 
how do kids already see themselves as like members of a more than human world? And um, like you mentioned, just going outside, being in the community, even inside, like thinking about reframing how we see our cafeteria lunches and yeah. um, seeing ourselves as animals, like all of that can be part of SEL too. So well, like big, big picture SEL. Sometimes I differentiate like social and emotional learning from the like SEL paradigm, um, kind of the bigger possibilities and then the more branded possibilities. But Yeah. Yeah. T two more shout outs and then we'll do like a final question. I, I would also yeah. add to the list. Uh, we'll just have those <laughs> giant show notes. Um, yeah, I love it. Institute for Humane Education uh, has a lot of really cool uh, curricular activities centered on what you were just saying. So centered on um, both connecting other people, but with an explicit focus on animals and like ethics and relating with nature, et cetera. They have a lot of interesting stuff. Um, and then Chef Anne Project, which is a way that you can actually dive into making like farm to table lunches and like learning where your food comes from. Um, we did a whole deep dive on that at, at some point. We have a, we had someone on our podcast mm -hmm. that came and talked about like journalism of food. And it's really interesting to note, it's actually cheaper to get your food farm to table in schools than it is to get it from like your corporate supplier. And you just have to work through a lot of different contracts, but it is cheaper mm -hmm. in the long run. Um, but yeah, I, I think then in terms of just moving into like the, the, cornerstone element of this conversation and, and talking about LCL broadly, people now know perhaps some contextualized information on like why we're talking about this. They maybe have problematized it a bit. They see perhaps places they could turn to. Do you have any advice for educators that maybe just listen to this conversation that are just like, okay, what now? <laughs> yeah, I think, I mean, this is the advice for so many of the problems with education, like get with a community, um, with other teachers, with other community members, like don't try to operate alone, um, is always a big one. Um, I think also like kind of trusting in your own practice, which again, I say with an asterisk cause I've seen or, and heard about some pretty atrocious classroom practices, but also a lot of really great stuff comes from teachers themselves. So I think um, to have some trust of like, if you think something is really working with your classroom, like at a social and emotional level, like believe in that, um, even if it's not like showing up in the scripted program. So like making space for that. Um, I always try to like, I mean, I'm pretty upfront about not being a K through 12 educator. So I never want to assume I like, I don't know that lived experience, but I think recognizing that there is support in numbers, um, unions this can definitely be like part of union efforts um so yeah like have some value the grassroots like your own um practices value those and get together with other people i wish i had a silver bullet but <laughs> that's kind of what i got yeah i mean at the end of the day if the kids in the room are enjoying what's going on and they're telling you it's enjoying it on you're collecting right. feedback and they're like this is great that that's all the real proof you need that your SEL program is working. Just a brief yeah. anecdote. But like, I remember we had, it, this was during the, the hybrid year of COVID. So there were 10 to 15 kids in a room and then 10 to 15 kids online. And mm -hmm. that year we kept all the kids in the same room for a very long period of time. And they, then they went period to period with the same group the entire day. So these kids were spending seven to eight hours a day with the same 15 groups of kids. And as anyone might imagine, that is either 
amazing or absolutely awful, depending on what group they get. High school, school. Like, ninth grade. Oh, okay. So, yeah, yeah. like for example, like what if a, what if kids break up? Typically, that's not mm-hmm. a big deal. That'll sit on opposite sides of the room. Well, not. It's a pretty big deal. If there's only 15 kids in the room. So I know a lot of teachers really struggled with. Like I, I have heard ad nauseum people saying, like, "Thank God that's over." Like, I'm so happy that we don't have to deal with that anymore. But the exact same time, I'll tell you, from personal experience, that was my favorite year teaching. Not because of the, the pandemic uh-huh. element, obviously. <laughs> but it was my favorite year teaching because I've never felt more connected to a group of kids. I sometimes envy elementary school teachers because they get to do that. They can mm-hmm. just have like this one group of kids pretty much all day, every day. And as a result, you're able to develop those systemic SEL practices organically. Like those kids, we would come in every day and play like random games and we would just do it because that's what the kids like to do. And we didn't have to plan that. It was just a part of the day that this was like, this is what kids like doing. We did that. We had in jokes. We knew each other. So there's an element here too of like scheduling design, classroom design, even higher level design than classroom design to look at how can we develop schools to be more SEL focused and really center community. So we're not so siloed and isolated and we have more space to connect with other people and, and with the world. You know, we have more outdoor yeah. classrooms, et cetera. Yeah, I love that. I think I we need those stories of a little bit of pushback from those years of COVID, of not like romanticizing it and denying the trauma a lot of people experienced. But sure. there were, I mean, there were some elements of like increased connection that I, I even felt too. Like I always joke about the black hole of black zoom squares where like mm-hmm. three people are talking but th- that was also the year i think i got the most affirmative feedback from students i ever have about social and emotional things of like thank you for making this classroom a space like you've been a rock or like we feel safe to come to your class and i'm like interesting like it was just this kind of paradoxical time of like um like shit kind of hit the fan but then like what happened from yeah. that like we were we kind of like had the bare bones of like what do we actually care about this year so I like those stories of like some things, sometimes good things can happen when the system is rocked a lot. Thank you again for listening to our podcast at Human Restoration Project. I hope this conversation leaves you inspired and ready to start making change. If you enjoyed listening, please consider leaving us a review on your favorite podcast player. Plus, find a whole host of free resources, writings, and other podcasts all for free on our website, humanrestorationproject.org. Thank you.